Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through. That is hating their nine to five and living only for the weekends. This is the Behind the Wheel podcast. My name is Muhammad Ali Haji and I am so, so delighted to welcome a man who is the definition of brain plasticity. His ability to adapt, change and learn new things in response to societal trends and the ever-changing needs of his audience with a commitment and determination to always, always be of service is just so inspirational. Shazad, aka Brown Car Guy, is a multimedia journalist and content creator with three decades of practical experience and a proven track record of success in the areas of print, digital, broadcast, video and TV. He is an innovator and early adopter and brings a unique blend of enthusiasm, passion and dedication as well as humour to every endeavour he undertakes. My guest for today co-presented a weekly automotive show in, on Dubai iRadio, the UAE's leading talk radio station. He's also run and hosted live events, including a daily panel show at the last two editions of the Dubai International Motor Show. Prior to this, he was editor of the Middle East car edition of Car Magazine, was a news editor at UK-based automotive research firm JATO Dynamics, was deputy editor during the reinvention of used car magazine in 2004 and editor of parkers.co.uk website in 1999, which he launched. Here's what you can look forward to in today's interview with the brown car guy himself, Shazad Sheikh. You know, it needs to be demonstrated that there is a way to achieve goals, you know, but they're not going to come easily. They're not going to come to you while you lie in bed. You know, get up out of bed, do stuff, fail, do it again, fail again, do it again, fail again, keep doing it, you know, and that's, that's the only way to achieve in life, you know, that's the only way to do things. And at the end of the day, if it's just cars that you're interested in, if that's it, if that's your own calling, is I'm just interested in the cars, and you think, oh, well, this is a way for me to drive cars. If that's the only reason you're doing it, honestly, I'll tell you, stop right now. I'll say, don't do it. This is not for you. What you need to do is get a job where you earn a lot of money and then you can buy whatever. You can do the track days, you can go racing, you can, you know, join the gentleman racing club, you can, you know, go on long tours. You, you, you know, you can do the stuff that I can't afford to do because of my chosen uh, career path uh, and you'll enjoy it. What I choose to do, especially at this point in my career, is not so much about the cars. It's about the service that I provide to yeah. the audience yeah. that I have, yeah. you know? And to me, it's always been about that. I wasn't just writing an article because, hey, look, I'm driving a new Toyota Supra. Isn't that good for me? No, it's not good for me. It's about you. So the way I've got to communicate, whether it's writing, whether it's a post on Instagram, whether it's a video on YouTube, is I've got to communicate to you. I mean, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to myself. I'm not in a bubble here. Otherwise, what I'm doing is a complete waste of time. All along my journey, one thing has always been clear to me. I don't know anything, right? This is the one mindset I think a lot of people forget, particularly senior people and particularly people who have done, you know, maybe done five, ten years, whatever, in their careers. They start to think they know stuff. They start to think they know everything. And the moment that happens is the moment you start to stagnate. Mm. Mm. The moment you think you know it all is, is the moment that you don't know it all. Shazad, Mr. Brown Guy, how you doing, man? <laughs> Fine, thank you very much. Thanks for that introduction. Fascinating stuff. I didn't know this whole backstory about you, you know, losing weight and all that. I mean, how did you, how did you do that? You know, it's it's crazy. I mean, um, for, for for me, like when I sort of rewind back to say, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, I was in a job I hated, really hated, and um, it was so bad. I used to basically sleep and eat uh, a lot, um, sleeping till four. Would you would you would you care to say what that job was? Uh, it was, it was a job that was, it was very much, um, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a place and an area that I just didn't enjoy. Uh, and I was doing very kind of menial admin tasks and I just didn't feel like I was fulfilling my, my own potential. And, um, but it was, it was, it was so bad that I would literally sleep till 4 PM and my wife would come home at about 4.10 and I would literally rush out of bed 
and pretend like I've been up for the entire day, lie to her, lie to myself. And it was it was a pretty dark place for me. Um, but in a really kind of bizarre way, I guess, losing weight made me realize that actually, you know what, I'm, I'm blaming everyone, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking in the mirror and actually and actually understanding that I am I am responsible for my life and I can I can take control. Um, hence why um, I then managed to find a better job. You know I I love what I do now, um, but I would say about six months ago I went to bed and I was crying. I was actually crying because I was like, man, I love cars. I've always loved cars, and if I don't ever do something about it, am I going to be kicking myself in the foot? You know, when I'm seventy or eighty and wondering you know, what if, what if I did just tap into it? And so the podcast kind of the, the culmination of those two things. And really the mission is to use cars as a magnet. When you speak to young people about, you know, mindset and about empowerment and about accountability, they switch off. Right. And um, so it's about using cars as a magnet to bring them in and then use people like yourself to inspire, empower, motivate young people um, to, you know, feel like it's okay to have a side passion you know it's not the end of the world if you've got if you're doing that academically you can still make something of your life you know if you're not if it's not going so well anyways that's that's the summarized version if you like um but uh yeah so, was, so, so sorry to flip sorry to flip this around on you i know it's supposed to be the other way no, around but I, I find I, I do find your story absolutely fascinating and i think that uh, you know what you're trying to achieve and the message that you're trying to put out now I think is truly an inspirational one, and I think the fact that you know you're not just talking, but you know you're not just you're not just talking, but you're walking the walk. You're actually doing what you, you're prescribing. Uh, I think that's tremendously inspiring, and I think that you know what you've said is spot on. I think for a lot of people, you know, it needs to be demonstrated that there is a way to achieve goals. You know, but they're not going to come easily. They're not going to come to you while you lie in bed. You know, get up out of bed, do stuff, fail do it again, fail again, do it again, fail again, keep doing it, you know, and that's, that's the only way to achieve in life, you know, that's the only way to do things, and it is pretty much like that, I mean, I've been doing this for well over 30 years now, you know, and, uh, and I can't say that it's been an easy ride, I would, that would not be honest, and I can't say that, oh, you know, I decided one morning I'm going to be a car journalist, and boom, I was a car journalist. No, that didn't happen either. So, you know, and along the ways I've encountered numerous successes, but also many, many more, many more failures. But, you know, you have to keep, you know, picking yourself up, dusting yourself off and going, you know what? I'm determined to do this. I may fail doing it. I may fail completely in the wrong run, but I'll never forgive myself if I don't try. Absolutely. I mean, I want to, I want to go back a bit in terms of, um, you know, if those in the car space will probably know who you are, but for those who might not, um, tell us a little bit about uh, about you and what you're about, man. All right, cool. Oh my god, you know, people always say, "Tell us about yourself," and I'm like, "Oh my god, how do I encompass thirty <laughs> years of effort into three minutes or less?" You know, uh, it's it's always difficult. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm from the UK. I grew up in the UK. Uh, I was always into cars. Don't ask me where it came from, because always you ask you ask somebody where does it come from, and it comes from a dad, or it comes from an uncle, or it comes from living near a garage, or living near a racetrack, or something like that. For me, none of that applies. You know, my dad was never into cars. He only started driving when he moved to Saudi, and he had to. Uh, my brother still doesn't drive cars. Uh, my kids laugh at my videos. You know, nobody around me is into cars apart from me. But somehow, the overriding you know, insuppressible passion was always there from day one. You know, when the kids were in the playground playing football, I was at the fence looking at the street, you know, trying to identify all the cars and, you know, looking at the badges and all the rest of it, you know. So it was always there. Um, The one thing that I, the other thing I was always interested in, okay, I was interested in science fiction, as you can see from the Enterprise on my shelf back here. But in addition to that, the other great love of mine was writing. So at the time, it was purely writing. I was really into writing. I fancied myself as a writer, as a fiction writer and stuff like that, you know. And at some point, uh, I moved to Saudi for a bit with my dad and uh, decided to stay there. Actually, we all moved over, but we'd come back to studies. And then I decided to move back with him for a bit. And... um, he had access to Saudi Gazette newspaper because his company was supplying them with uh, communication equipment. Um, so whenever he used to go down there, I would, I would tag along because I was just interested. And that got me talking to the features editor and that got me into uh, a position where I was writing features for them. And that got me into a position where I actually became Saudi Arabia's first motoring journalist. Wow. Uh, and that I think is, is a, is a fair feat in itself. And I used to say that 
you know, um, categorically without really anything to back it up. But recently interviewed a good buddy of mine, uh, Baku Razer, who is uh, Saudi Auto. And uh, and he confirmed to me, he's like, no, no, you were the first one here. You know, even, so even I, even I started after you. So I'm like, wow. So that's, so that's where the journey started. And that was pretty much frontiers land, because as you can imagine, you know, uh, you know, most people imagine motoring journalism, you get press cars and you go to events and you go to launches. Of course, starting in Saudi Arabia, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, I was literally going around to dealers and trying to explain to them why they would want me to write about their cars. You know, it was, it was mm. quite weird, weird, weird scenario, but I managed to do it and I did it for two years and I drove quite a lot of stuff, including, uh, a Lamborghini Countach, which was my first supercar that I reviewed. Yeah. And it was a dream car for a lot of people at the time. Still is, I would say. It's a, um, it's a poster car, isn't it? It's what you put in your it, bedroom, it's, you know. It's not just a poster car. I think it's the ultimate poster car. Yeah. I think that was yeah. the one, you know, that the was one. the car that everybody had on, on their walls. Yeah. So, so that was quite an achievement. Of course, you know, pumped up and all excited with, with that, you know, success and that enthusiasm. I came back to the UK. And of course, it was like a bucket of cold water thrown over me because I couldn't really get back into that field here, despite my achievements there. So then I just got into local newspapers and stuff like that. And, uh, and I learned journalism, you know, on the job. So I, so that was actually, it was a setback. This is the thing. I mean, again, we're talking about inspiring young people. And, you know, sometimes you'll think, oh, man, that's not what I wanted to do. And I've ended up on the wrong track. And, you know, this is not fair. And this is not right. But actually, now that I look back at it, you know, between 1992, when I came back, and 1997, when I got, essentially, I got back into automotive media. So that gap of, what, five years or so, I learned the hard graft of publishing. You know, everything from field reporting to political reporting to covering events to how newspapers were put together to how to deal with dealers to how they were distributed to how advertising were. Literally, I learned because it was a small newspaper. We all worked as a small team. So I, I learned everything. And then I moved into uh, I, I worked for an academic uh, organization for a bit. I handled their publications. So I was doing books and uh, journals, leaflets. And again, all of that gives you a solid grounding in the field that I'm in, which of course is media and media publishing at the time. Uh, and that of course helped me along my way. Um, but of course, ultimately I was bored out of my head and I did want to get back. And eventually I managed to get back, um, uh, with, uh, a digital outlet of EMAP, now then called EMAP, now called Bauer. And uh, they were producing the digital versions or the web versions, which was very much early days. It's very much fledgling. This is the late nineties we're talking about, uh, of car magazine and classic car magazine. I was with them for about a year and a bit before that whole department folded because they decided that experiment hadn't worked for them. Um, so, so that whole digital experiment folded, you know, because it was the early days of digital and I got an opportunity to move across to Parker's. If anybody knows Parker's, they've been going for many, many years. They're a small consumer used car buying price guide and they were going to move digital. And I was actually the launch editor on that website. We went on to win a couple of awards. We were the second biggest website for automotive in the UK after AutoTrader. Wow. So you can't really be AutoTrader. Um, at that point, uh, a couple of years in, they also started to cut back. Moved from there to a magazine called Used Car Buyer, reinvented that. We had people like Mike Brewer and Quinton Wilson writing for that. Then uh, reinvented that magazine, relaunched it successfully, but then that got sold. Moved to a company called Data Dynamics, which does automotive intelligence gathering data from around the world. Managed a team of 48 uh, researchers around the world, uh, feeding into a, uh, a global news feed. Did that for a year, moved ultimately to something that I really wanted to do was Car Magazine. I wanted to be the editor of Car Magazine. Now at Parker's, I worked across the floor from Car Magazine. Right. So, right. you know, I knew a couple of the guys there. But on the other hand, a part of me knew that I would never be made editor of a magazine like that, prestigious, long-running, long-standing magazine like that over here. So I, and I knew that they were starting to franchise international editions. So I'd, I'd always put the feelers out. So when I found out that they were doing one in Dubai, I was like, okay, I want in on that. Yeah. So I applied yeah. for that, got that, uh, moved to Dubai in 2006, basically to, to run that, yeah. uh, ended, ended up heading up the, uh, uh in terms of as a, a editorial director, ended up heading up the entire men's group portfolio magazines with ITP, which was the biggest publisher. It is the biggest publisher of magazines, consumer magazines in Dubai. Uh, did that for about five years until the contract ended with Carr. 
which was a shame because we had done a lot of successful stuff with that. Yeah. But we had built up such a big following uh, through our social media feeds, such as Facebook at the time, that uh, there was a demand for us to create our own thing. So we then founded, I co-founded Motoring Middle East, did that right until uh, I left Dubai at the end of uh, 2018. Along the way, I did six years of radio on Dubai Eye, and I also did a year as a uh, a presenter on a car show for a Fox uh, Middle East Network, right. uh, a car show called The Autocrats. So, so there you go. That's that's basically the journey. And then when I moved back to uh, to the UK, I decided to uh, basically go freelance and to create my own brand, which is Brown Car Guy. And uh, that's what I've been doing since then. I find it amazing that um, you've you've managed to, despite quite a few setbacks, quite a few tough times, you managed to kind of cling on and and, and, main, and and maintain your space in in this very kind of tough area i guess i mean i mean journalism is tough but car journalism must be even more tough um at any point shazad did you think you know what i'm done i'm gonna go and get my nine to five i'm gonna go into a space where i know i'm gonna get paid every single month i'm gonna, I'm gonna take the more safer route and did, did that thought ever ever occur to you uh all the time Still does, even especially now, because now I'm trying to make it on my own, essentially, right? So I'm freelancing and I'm doing my own thing. So I'm trying to build my own brand and I'm freelancing. And of course, as you can imagine, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of my plans went to shot, went to went to hell because it just didn't pan out the way that you know. Because I, if you think about it, I essentially started doing this at the beginning of 2019, started to get some momentum at the beginning of 2020, and then of course the pandemic hit. And a lot of things that were in, you know, that were up in the air, there were some balls I was juggling and some projects that were going to happen. And of course, that all fizzled out and died. And of course, at that point, you do think, well, you know, what's the point, you know? Uh, and then, of course, post-pandemic, not that we are post-pandemic, but post-pandemic-ish, yeah. you know, things have started to pick up, but they're still not easy. It's still very difficult. So uh, to answer your question, yes, every day, it takes a tremendous power, tremendous amount of willpower, I should say, you know, to pursue your dreams. It's not easy. And that's why I say to a lot of people, a lot of kids do come up to me, uh, especially in Dubai uh, and, and not so much more recently, but certainly during the, those times. And they would say, you know, you've got the best job in the world. OK, I don't disagree with that, but it's not the easiest job in the world. And they're like, how can we do what you do? And first of all, I say, you don't, you know, you, you shouldn't do what I do because it's not easy, you know, and it's going to be a very, very painful and difficult and, and, uh, and trying journey. And you need to be 100% sure that you want to embark down this road because there are lots of far easier ways of, you know, enjoying your life. You know, you can do what your mama and papa say and, you know, go and become an engineer or a doctor or an accountant or whatever, you know, and you'll earn decent money. And at the end of the day, if it's just cars that you're interested in, if that's it, if that's your own calling is I'm just interested in the cars and you think, oh, well, this is a way for me to drive cars. If that's the only reason you're doing it, Honestly, I'll tell you, stop right now. I say, don't do it. This is not for you. What you need to do is get a job where you earn a lot of money and then you can buy whatever. You can do the track days. You can go racing. You can, you know, join the gentleman racing club. You can, you know, go on long tours. You, you, you know, you can do the stuff that I can't afford to do because of my chosen uh, career path uh, and you'll enjoy it. What I choose to do, especially at this point in my career, is not so much about the cars. It's about the service that I provide yeah. to the audience yeah. that I have, yeah. you know. And to me, it's always been about that. So the reason why the things that I've done have been so successful, I mean, the reason why, uh, right back to the beginning, I know a journalist now um, in Canada. His name is uh, uh, Noman. And uh, I did an interview with him as well on, on my channel. And something amazing turned out from that, which I wasn't aware of. When he was very young, he was living for a while with his family in Saudi Arabia. And he had become aware of my columns at that time. Wow. And it's almost like that's something that started him along the journey wow. to where he ended up to. Wow. And again, to me, it's like, well, I w that means that I was doing what I was doing correctly. I wasn't just writing an article because, hey, look, I'm driving a new Toyota Supra. Isn't that good for me? No, it's not good for me. It's about you. So the way I've got to communicate, whether it's writing, whether it's a post on Instagram, whether it's a video on YouTube, is I've got to communicate to you. I mean, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to myself. I'm not in a bubble here. Otherwise, what I'm doing is a complete waste of time. Yeah. 
you know, I'm reaching out to people and that's how I've inspired them. That's how I've made, helped them make decisions. At the end of the day, people are making car buying decisions based on this yeah. or they're telling their friends yeah. or they want to appear like then they are knowledgeable and passionate because they've listened to the brown car guy or whatever and they've, they've learned from him. So one of the things that you must realize before you embark down this road is that there is a tremendous amount of responsibility. It's not just about, oh, it's going to be fun going to press events and driving cars and that's what it's all about. It's not. That's not what it's about. Because if that's what it's about, then really you shouldn't be doing this. What it's about is about enabling, informing, and helping other people. I get questions all the time. People are DMing me and all this, all this sort of stuff. And I, and I always try to answer them. I always try. As much as I can in my yeah. capacity, I will always try to, to guide. I don't know who they are. But I will try. I will guide. I will try and find out what they're after. What they, if I have the information, I will provide it. If not, I'll try and point them in the right direction. And I think that's what this is all about. You know, that it's, there's got to be uh, a driving force behind what you're doing. And like you talk about the setbacks, it's like, yes, of course, every day you think, well, why am I doing this? And every time somebody, you know, you bump into somebody on the street, says, oh, brown car guy, I saw your stuff. Or somebody says, oh, I bought that Dodge Charger because I saw your review. Every time something like that happens, you're like, I know why I'm doing this. Yeah. I remember why I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, to, to, it, that is profound because I think, I think a lot of people focus so much on the money and, and, and they think that money is the thing that will give them the happiness thereafter. But I think for you, what you're saying is that it's not about the money per se. It's about giving, it's about being of service and actually making sure that you are giving as best a possible service to people and feeling like you are helping people. And that seems so clear in your videos and whatever you do is that you're trying to entertain people. You're trying to inform them. Um, to what degree should that, has that led, has that been the main driving factor behind your behind your audience and your and your success so far, hundred percent. I think it's everything. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you just take. So you so you look at what I did with Car Magazine. So again, it was front. If you think about moving to the Middle East in two thousand six, there was a ton of magazines at that time, especially in Dubai. But even the standard of photography was not very good. You know, I was blowing ITP's budget every month. Because at one point, early on, I couldn't find any local photographers that were good at shooting cars. And everybody had excuses. It's too hot. It's too bright. The sun is too sharp. You know, get over it. You know, I was, I was, I was flying photographers from the UK to Dubai in order to raise, because what I had, what I had established was that I have car magazine. Now, as per the contract that we had with Car, it's a franchise edition, it's a licensed magazine. And so the requirement that there was, I believe if I remember correctly, was a 35% minimum content that you had to use from the UK edition, right? But you could use up to 90%, I think it was 85 or 90% content from the UK. So I could just cheat. I could just do, I could just have a laugh, enjoy myself, take all the UK content, cut and paste, bang, bomb, out there, no problem, and do my job, my nine to five job. Yeah. But that's not what I was about. So when I went out there, I said to the publisher, I said, can you give me all the research that you've done on the magazine? And he was like, what research? And I'm like, you know, the demographics, the audience. He said, yeah. we haven't done anything. We just got the license. I'm like, okay. So then what I instigated was that I got involved in the car communities. I went out. I went to car events. I, went, I met people. I spoke to people. I manned. Um, one, what, the first year we were at the Motor Show, we had a big stand. I manned it all seven days because I wanted to talk to people. And I wanted to understand what the local culture was, how they spoke about cars, what cars turned them on, what cars didn't, what, what, how did they approach. So I wanted to get into the local psyche. I knew about cars, but cars are different all over the world. And the way the car culture is, is different all over the world. So you have to understand that. So I got to a point where I started talking their language. I started being relevant to them. I started, you know, even the stuff that I was taking from the UK magazine, I was heavily editing. People don't. People think, oh, it's a cut and paste job. It wasn't. I would heavily re-edit those uh, articles to suit the yeah. Middle East market, you know, to make it relevant to yeah. them, right? And at some point, I remember distinctly one time I got a message. We had a liaison editor, Emap uh, Bauer in the UK, that would basically manage all of the international editions. And at one point, he sent me an email. He said, Shazad, you've dropped to less than 20% UK content in your last issue, which is a breach of the contract, in fact, you know. And I said, yeah, because the UK content was rubbish and it wasn't relevant to my audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, he, and, and then fair play to him, he emailed me back. He said, 
no problem. <laughs> and, and, and he got it. And the thing was that we, we, would, we were doing, like, we were shooting local cars, putting local covers. One of the things I realized early on is, like, the magazine isn't localized until people can see that the car is in the Middle East. So we were going to great expense to shoot those covers locally. You know, every now and then we would use a UK cover, but we try and do our own. It got to a point where, and again, this is a thing of prestige, that the, 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 the franchise editor, the liaison editor told me that to get other franchises around the world, the, the sales team would take two magazines to show people how it was done. One was Car Russia and the other one was Car Middle East because these to them were the examples of how the perfect way of how to doing a franchise edition of the brand. To me, I was not just uh, looking after the car brand, which is an important brand. You know, it was a very it's a prestigious magazine brand, and to me, I was the caretaker. So I was trying to I was trying to ensure that I was keeping to the same quality standards uh, and and style of content as Car, but. I was equally aware and important, uh, aware of the importance of my, my audience. So take, for example, a simple thing like car magazine here in the UK or Evo magazine here in the UK. And they do a lot of supercars and high end cars and stuff like that. You can rightfully agree with me that probably 80 to 90% of the audience of that magazine will probably not own those cars. Mm -hmm. You know, to them, they're aspirational cars. Mm -hmm. So they're basically re, they're living that dream by proxy through the writings of the journalists, yep. right? So, in some, in some ways, you could kind of pull the wool over their eyes because they'll never experience those cars. One thing that I realized very quickly when I moved to the UAE was that it's probably the, the other way around. Probably 80% of my audience could buy the cars I was wow. talking about. Okay. So, okay. So, so suddenly I became very, very aware of the fact that I had to treat them. I could not patronize my audience. I had to treat them like equals. You know, because they were probably, if I was re reviewing a Porsche 911 Turbo, the guy, the guy who picked up the magazine had probably owned three of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I have to be, and he's probably like, oh, but you didn't mention this and you didn't mention that. And you, that is you, so and, interesting. Oh my God. So you, yeah. you, so you, so you have to put yourself into the reader's uh, shoes. Now, because of that, now you talked about how much did that impact the audience that I had. And then we started car meets is something that we initiated, cars and coffee type culture. We started with 25 cars. Uh, at I think it was Fatburgers in Jumeirah Beach Road and the, our penultimate meet we had basically blocked out the entire festival city with over a thousand cars in attendance you know oh and that and that culture came from you know people bought into what I was doing and how I was doing it and they enjoyed it they related to it they could understand what I was saying they could because I was speaking their language I was using the terminology when I say language not Arabic I mean like in terms of terminology and phraseology yeah. so they could understand it like they could relate to me and I think that's important I think that's very important is the ability to relate to your audience because that's how you make that connection and once you make that connection that's when you get people to come along with you on this fantastic ride i think um what what's amazing is that obviously you've had experience both in the print world but also your amazing success in the social media space as well in the digital space if you like um how in 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 your view how are the two different in terms of you know writing for a magazine versus social media how is that different for you and how have you kind of targeted or or trained yourself to change how you write and what you say depending on the medium that you're using so i'm going to have a little bit of a go at my contemporaries uh, in response to that question because you know uh, as i said i've been doing this a long time i did start in a print environment so i am essentially basically at my core a print journalist I and mean, when i started doing this in 1989 the newspaper was still being pasted up. So they would still like, you know, you'd cut it out and paste it up on a board and that would go and then you'd, you'd get, you know, so this was really old school when it started. This was even before desktop publishing. Um, but all, all along my journey, one thing has always been clear to me. I don't know anything, right? This is the one mindset I think a lot of people forget, particularly senior people and particularly people who have done, you know, maybe done five, 10 years, whatever in their careers. They start to think they know stuff. They start to think they know everything. And the moment that happens is the moment you start to stagnate. Mm. Mm. The moment you think you know it all is, is the moment that you don't know it all. And I'm always, I've always said, I don't know. Think, and especially when you come to the digital environment, everything changes and is changing constantly. Yeah. You know, I spend a lot of time reading articles and watching videos about, and watching videos with little kids in them explaining to me how to do Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
but but I but I'm watching them because yeah. I'm learning stuff yeah. from them. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. they may be 16, 17 years old, yeah. but I'm learning stuff from them. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep up to date. You know, so I think one of the important things, and you say that transition is extremely difficult. And I think a lot of my uh, fellow journalists and and colleagues from back in the day have not been able to make that transition. They've not been able to do it because they've been stuck in their ways. They've been like, no, print is the way. You must read. And you know, yes, okay, it's the way. But here, take for example, I was doing some research recently. I believe if I'm, I may be incorrect, but you know, just bear with me. If you can go and double check the figures, but from what I remember from the recent research I did, Car Magazine in the UK magazine sales per month in 2020 was less than 40,000 circulation. Less than 40,000. Let me put that into context. When I was working for Parkers uh, back in at the end of the 90s, circulations for magazines were like of like that were in the hundreds of thousands. Wow. Right? Wow. Top Gear, I believe, if I remember correctly, was in the six to 700,000 bracket. Wow. And, Ma- and Max Power was even more than that. Max Power, long defunct uh, magazine. So that, that was a level of magazine circulation we were talking about. And if something, and for a company like EMAP, or now Bauer, if a magazine dropped below 80,000 sales, they would shut it because there wouldn't be any point. Now we're talking about magazines that are selling less than 40,000 wow. copies. You can see what's happened to the market. So the whole concept of like, oh no, well, you must stick to print and we must, you know, people must read. It's like, you can, you can write it fine. I still write. I write for a lot of magazines and, and, and newspapers. I still do it. But, I, but at the same time, you've got to be flexible. You've got to understand new markets. And it's not just a case of going, okay, oh, you know, I think I've decided to open a Facebook page or an Instagram uh, account or I'm going to start a YouTube channel. That's not enough because you've got to understand how that works. You've got to understand the language. You've got to understand how people consume that. And it's all very different. I mean, people talk about, you know, you've seen my car review videos on YouTube. But as I mentioned earlier, I've done car reviews for television. Yeah. Now, having worked with the, with the, the, the TV team at the Autocrats in Dubai, we used to start, when we did a, a day's filming, we used to start pretty much at dawn. And we would end pretty much when there was no more light left to shoot. Wow. And sometimes that meant 50 plus degrees in the desert wearing a tie and a, and a tweed jacket because that's what, they, that's what the director had envisaged. It was a long, hard slog. And it's not that I'm you know, messing up my lines or anything like that. Uh, I do sometimes, but generally I, I get, I'm pretty good. But it's because it's TV. And the TV, they want to try this angle. They want to try that angle. They want to, can we just do that take again? Can we just yeah. do it this way? Can we just do it that way? You know, yeah. many, many different ways. And that's works for television then you've got to understand that the youtube is not television there's no point putting that amount of effort mm-hmm. into a youtube video because the consumption of the audience that's consuming youtube is different mm-hmm. to the audience that has expectations of what they want to see on tv so so that's what i mean by interpreting your media platform and your audience expectations correctly and that's a moving target in both of those cases mm-hmm. it's a constantly moving target so if you're not keeping up with that, you're going to be left behind. So one of the things about me is that I've always, you know, I've tried everything. You know, some things work, some things don't. I've done podcasting, you know, uh, as you know. Um, I've done videos, I've done Facebook, I've done Instagram. Like when we were doing Motoring Middle East, which is what I founded after Car Magazine, yeah. at that and this would have been uh, 2011 onwards. So 2011 to say 2015 or so, Facebook was massive for us. Like, we could not fail. We were growing massively. Like, we had spent a lot of money invested in a website because we decided not to go print. We were going to be purely digital. We'd spent a lot of money setting up a website. After a couple of years, we pretty much gave up with the website because we realized our audience had yeah. moved. Yeah. So, we're, so we're like, why, why are we focusing on here when our audience is over here? You've got to react. You've got to be prepared to react. You know, yeah. you can't just be a stick in the mud. Go, no, I've spent you know, this much money on my website and I'm going to do that. No, no, no. You, where is the audience? Go there. So we moved to uh, Facebook, and then, but, but even after five years, we found that Facebook uh, traffic was trailing off. Where was it now? It was on YouTube. Okay, mm-hmm. so we moved to YouTube, you know? And, and since I moved back here, um, I have a Facebook page, I have a website, I have Instagram, I have YouTube, but my focus is YouTube and Instagram. Yeah. Because I know that that's where the majority of the traffic, particularly in, you know, because people over here use Twitter a lot. People in the Middle East use Twitter a lot. But as a car journalist, 
Twitter is not necessarily where I want it to be, particularly in the Middle East. Here it's a little bit different. In the UK, mm. people do use Twitter quite a lot. But in Twitter in the Middle East is a political platform. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of political dialogue, political chatter on Twitter. So we never really focused on yeah. it. So that's why I never really focused on it. You know, I have a Twitter account, but I didn't really focus on it. So it's all about, and that goes, that just boils down to again, understanding where is your audience and understanding which is the right platform to reach them on. And, and it's a constantly moving target. What I'm doing today may not be relevant in six months. I might have to change again. Yeah. But you've got to be ready to do that. I think it's such a fundamental question, isn't it? Where are the eyeballs? And then being willing to change and adapt your, 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 your place of focus, depending on where the eyeballs shift, whether it's Facebook, Instagram. And also really importantly, as you said, Shazad, was also then changing the way that you deliver your content based on that platform. You know, you can't just take a Facebook post and copy and paste it into Instagram. And you can't just take an Instagram post and copy and paste the text into Twitter. It ain't going to work. They are, they are, they are very different in the way that they, they deliver content. And I think, um, I think often people find themselves so emotionally invested in one particular platform that they become so adverse to changing. And it's, it's, it's really sad to see. And, and that's what leads to failure, I guess. And, and like you said, the moment that you think you know it all is the moment that you then start going downhill. Yeah. I want to ask a, um, a, a, a real fundamental question. Um, there are people out there who um, they, they've got an interest in something, they, they, want to, they want to give it a go, but there's something that prevents them from picking up that phone, right? holding it to their face and saying hello or doing something. And so this is, this is way before we're talking about the importance of being able to shift your, shift your level of focus from Instagram to Facebook. This is like before all that, that starting point, that starting point for someone to say, I'm going to put something out there. What in, in, what do you think prevents people from doing that? Number one. And number two, did you ever go through that point where you were quite, quite um, scared about what people might think about what you're, what you're putting out there yes i mean absolutely um it's 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 quite funny that if you if you if you find any of my childhood friends now and uh you ask them about the brown car guy and the shazad sheikh who is out there now they're like we don't recognize this guy wow you know because because uh you know because again not it's not just been a case of me learning new skills and reinventing how i deliver my content and stuff like that it's been a case of me reinventing myself constantly throughout, you know, and and I was a very shy person. I was very so timid and shy. It's so I know. To believe. I mean, it just that is just gobsmacking. I don't. I, I don't understand that. I mean, if 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 my my twelve year old or thirteen year old self would have seen me, um, you know, hosting live events every day, three shows a day at the Dubai Motor Show. And, uh, and, 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 and getting some of the crowds into a frenzy because we were doing, you know, car of the year and stuff like that. They would not, they would, they would have said never. They would have said no way would I ever evolve into that person. Now, now there are two, there are two or three things to this. Now, first of all, you said what prevents people from doing that thing? Now, first of all, it, it's, it is fear, you know, and, and it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a self-awareness, which is very important. We all need to be self-aware, but some of us are too self-aware. And too self-conscious. And if you're too self-conscious and you're literally, everything you do is like, oh, but so what will so-and-so think? What will so-and-so say? You know, and especially in our culture, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. what are they going to say? And what will auntie absolutely. say? And what will uncle think? You know, all this sort of stuff, yeah. you know? And oh, you know, you will bring shame on us. And, you know, if you, if you get stuck up in that, then you know what? Just go become the accountant. Just become the engineer. Just become the doctor. Just go do that. You know, because that's where everybody will be like saying good things about you. You know, <laughs> and you'll find a wife. I mean, I and and you'll find a, and you'll find a wife as easily as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had until a long time in my career. You know, right up till the late twenties or something like that, it, we, people would be saying, "What do you do, beta?" And I'd be like, "I try to explain <laughs> what I'm doing. I try." And at the end of it, they'd be nodding and nodding, and you could see none of it is going in. And you're nodding and nodding. It's like, very nice, beta, but when are you going to get a proper job? I would you know, it's love, like, you know, I would love you to know? be a fly on that washer's <laughs> to see that. But, you know, but that's the sort of thing that happens. And, 
that's fundamental. So before you even talking about picking up the phone or doing a YouTube video or talking to a live audience, you've got to just even overcome that. You've got to overcome within, you know, even like I said, I was right at the beginning. I joked with you. I said, you know, my kids take the mickey out of my video. They do. They do. You know, so does my wife. But does that stop? Does that stop me? No. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, but I'm not creating this content for you. I'm creating it for them. Mm -hmm. So I've got to see what they want and I've got to see what they like and I've got to do that. Uh, It's a difficult hurdle. And for a lot of people, it's a hurdle they will never be able to overcome. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I have done lots of interviews with lots of people. I know some people, it's, it's a rare example, but I know some people where this has happened, where, you know, off the camera or off the environment, you speak to them and they're, they're smart, they're savvy, they're witty, they're funny. And then you turn on a camera, bang, gone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally self-conscious, can't say a word, frozen. Mm-hmm. It's happened. I've seen it happen. You've got to be aware of whether you're that person or not. And if you are that person, but you're still determined and you're still passionate and you have the drive, then you've got to push yourself. And you've got to put yourself in environments where typically you would never be comfortable. Yeah. You've got to put yourself in front of that camera. You've got to put yourself in front of that audience. You've got to, you know, you've got to literally stand up in front of people and do stuff. And, you know, and if you are, even, I would say even if you find that you get a, a panic attack or an anxiety attack or you're, you're sweating and stuff like that, don't give up because that's the first time, mm-hmm. right? Okay, if 50 times later that's still happening, then maybe you need to think of a different career. But, you know, we all have that. I mean, I still have that. You know, I have to still, I fluff my first couple of takes on a YouTube video because I'm still self-conscious and then I have to snap into it, you know. Uh, I'm a little bit shaky when I go onto stage and I've done a lot of stage stuff and I, you know, but, you know, after a while, you know, I'm in it. You know, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's not a bad thing to be nervous, to be self-conscious, to be self-aware. But it's the ability to understand that you've got to get past that. And it's the ability to be aware of the fact that the only person who's really aware of those aspects of you are you. Yeah. Yeah. The audience out there doesn't really care. They don't know. What they're seeing is what they're seeing. And they're either going to like you or they're going to hate you. And if they're going to hate you, so what? Yeah. So what? You know, what does, what difference does it make? You know, I mean, very, very early on when we started doing videos, uh, we did, uh, uh, this must have been back in 2010, 10, 2011. And we started doing some video content even for Car Magazine at the time. And me and my deputy editor, Imtushan, we took out a couple of muscle cars. We had a Camaro and we had a Mustang and we took them out into the desert and we did a little video with those cars. And we uploaded this video and we got so much hate and a lot of it racist hate, you know, wow. as you can imagine. Wow. You know, you can go, well, you know, what are these towel heads in the Middle East? You know, they want to, they hate us, but they love our cars. And what do they know about cars? And why don't they go back to driving rickshaws? And, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, wow. you know, and, and you think, well, for some people, the first time that happens, that will stop them dead in their tracks. They'll be like, oh, okay, I don't want this. I don't like this. I can't handle it. I'm not going to do it. For me, as you can see, 10, 11 years later, I'm still making videos. I'm like, well, you know, whoever commented on that video, you know, you, you're, you're still stuck in your little room being nasty to people on the internet. I'm making videos and look at all the videos I've made. Do you know what I mean? I'm still doing it. So you've got to look at the longer picture. You've got to look at the bigger picture and you've got to think that, you know, there will be hate. There will be criticism, sometimes from within your own family and your own friends, but you've just got to get past that. That's if you have that drive and that passion. But if you find that that is too difficult a hurdle to get over straight away, then you need to stop. I mean, like I was, you know, chatting to a dear friend of mine and I was saying, you know, he knows a lot about design and stuff like that. I said, oh, you know, you should do it. You should do a video. You should do a YouTube channel. And he said, Shazad, that's not me. And I, and I respect that. I respect that. You know, I mean, not everybody who has that knowledge and that ability doesn't mean that they can't, uh, you know, uh, share it and spread it out. But it means that maybe their platform or their avenue or their way of doing it will be different yeah. to how I do it. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean they can't do it. It just means that they might choose to only do it behind the written word, yeah. you know, or behind the picture caption yeah. you know, rather than, you know, being up front in your face sort yeah. of thing, you know, which is what I do. So I think it's all is not lost if you can't, you know, pick up a a, a phone and do a video on it. But it's a difficult thing. It's 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 the very first hurdle to try, you know. Um, And I think uh, there's a there's a there's a media guru you're probably familiar with. Does a lot of content. Guy called Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of what he says is right because you talk about people like, oh, but will I be good? Will the quality be okay? Will the sound be okay? Will the pick? He said, look, just do it. If the content is good, 
then people will start watching, mm-hmm. right? That's all you need. All you need nowadays. And we live in an incredible world. When I started out doing this, I had to make friends with the features editor at the Saudi Gazette to have a chance yeah. to write content that would be published before anybody had a chance of seeing it, yeah. right? Yeah. I had to overcome those hurdles to even be seen or read or heard or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now everybody has one of these and everybody anywhere in the world can upload content and it can instantly, it won't necessarily, but it could instantly be seen by millions of people potentially. The opportunity is there. Absolutely. I think there's, there's, there's two things that you have just said that really got me thinking. I think number one is people are way, way more malleable than they think they are. I mean, you mentioned there about if your younger self would have seen you now, they probably wouldn't recognize you. And I just, it just goes to show that, you know, um, people, um, when people say, oh, you know what? It's okay for stuff because that's, that's who should, th- that's who he is. He, he is that guy. But in actuality, you've, you've become that guy. Uh, it, it, it wasn't you when you were born and it wasn't you when you were younger. Um, you've become, who you are as a result of shaping yourself. And that's what that is really, really interesting. I know because people often use that as an excuse, as a reason to not do that video or whatever it is, because they're like, well, it's just, it's just not me. Um, and, and number two, which I think is even, which is so reassuring to that is even you, even you, the one who is so confident in front of a camera, even still finds himself going through periods of a bit a bit nervous you know you might not get it right first time yeah, yeah, and it, it, yeah. if, if that's not a reason to, to 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 give things a go then i don't know what is you know which is just oh yeah interesting and 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 that's that's natural and it's healthy and it's almost like if you don't have it then there's something wrong yeah because that's and it's the same it's a bit like what i was saying earlier is if it was the point at which you think you know everything is the point at which you're going to stagnate the point at which you are so cocky and so confident that you are not getting nervous is the point at which you are going to make a mistake yeah you know yeah. at which you are going to say something or make a blunder or something that, you know something dramatically is going to go wrong it's it's very important to be self-conscious and self-aware and, and be aware of who you're talking to, how you're talking to them and how you're addressing people. It's very important. That's all part of it. Would you say that you're now you're now comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that kind of makes sense? <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, obviously, there are, there, are, there are certain things that I just can't do, you know, that I've tried. For example, I did some content with a buddy of mine, uh, 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 another very senior journalist here in the UK. I guess him, him and me are kind of pioneers, him even more so, because I think he was pretty much the first black motoring journalist in the UK. And we've known each other a very long time. And before the pandemic, we were doing some content together. Um, and we did a few videos together. And one of the videos, I think it was the Kia, um, the Kia Soul. Mm-hmm. So the Kia Soul, we were doing a review of that. And it was his idea to let, let's introduce soul music. Let's, let's do this because yeah. it's, you know, it's Kia Soul, right? Let's, yeah. let's introduce some music. And I said, yeah, sure. Cool. Let's do that. So we did that and we did some fun stuff. The trouble is he's a terrific dancer. I'm not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't just have two left feet. I have two right feet as well. It's ridiculous, you know, and, and I'm completely hopeless. And, it, and the end sequence, he wants, he wanted us to, to, he wanted to show me a dance move and he wanted me to do the dance move and then I sort of walk dancing off into the distance, you know, and it looks terrible from my point of view. You know, I did it. I did it though. I did it. I pushed yeah. myself and I knew that I knew it would look bad, but I still did it. You know, yeah. in retrospect, I'm like, okay, it looks bad, but you know, on the other hand, I'm still happy that I did it because yeah. there's still a piece of fun content that's out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it's also a piece of content. Somebody said, Oh, can you dance in our next video? I'm like, no, no, just look at this video. You'll see. I can't. <laughs> I just I can't do it, you know. But uh, but it's one of those things. If some people say to me, uh, I get message uh, quite often now. Uh, why don't you do your content in Urdu or Hindi, right? And again, that's a that's a bit of a hurdle for me because my Urdu and Hindi is terrible, absolutely atrocious, and I wouldn't want to inflict it on anyone. And I and it's one of the things where I'm not comfortable speaking that uh, in a public environment. So again, it's one of those things where even I have certain certain obstacles and certain blocks and certain hurdles which I have not been able to get yeah, over yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I mean if somebody said oh, I'll give you a million dollars to do a video in Hindi then I probably would get over that <laughs> hurdle pretty quickly I, I think you know but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but otherwise it's something that I've not been able to do and I always say to people look no really I, I can't do it I'm, I wouldn't be comfortable doing it I wouldn't do it right and I think there are better people and that's, this is the other thing you've got to recognize I think there are better people doing it 
in that language, you know, that, and there is content out there. So there's no point in me trying to do it. I wouldn't be able to compete with them. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where we're not all perfect, but we all try to evolve. We all try to better ourselves. We all try to learn new skills. And I think that's very important. I think that's such a, it's such a key point there. And I think, I mean, where, where do you personally draw that line between, um, between crossing into that kind of uncomfortable zone? but also being self-aware of what you can and what you can't do. I mean, d- does that shape a lot of how you approach your decisions and, 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 and where you put your time in? I, th- I think so. I think that you also have to look at it the flip side. Like I said, I mean, I also have to look at the value of doing it. You know, because if I'm saying, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable position and do something, I'm like, what's the value of it? Does a, first of all, does it work for the content? Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it relevant? Is it funny? Is it entertaining? Is it relevant? So with the Kia Soul, the the idea Kevin had was brilliant. He was like, okay, it's it's the Kia Soul. Let's do something, you know, with with soul music. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know what? That's a good idea. Even though like I knew I'm like I, I don't know if this is gonna work, but I'm like, but I still like, okay, it's relevant. It works. Secondly, uh, I've got to think out of the audience. Would the audience like it? Will it work for the audience? You know, because we could we could have a a, a gr- great old time and produce some fun and have a laugh, you know, minute producing this content. But if everybody's like, oh, that was a bit naff, really, then I'm like, well, why did we do it? Yeah. But sometimes you have to do it in order to know it. You know, yeah. you won't know yeah, you won't know that until you do it, right? So, and thirdly, you've got to look at the time value proposition. I mean, a lot of I mean, you know, people say to me, you put out a lot of content and you do a lot of stuff. So sometimes you've got to start to think of, okay, right, what's my return on terms of the value mm-hmm. that I'm putting into, mm-hmm. or the time, effort, and uh, energy that I'm putting into something? What's the value return on that? And by value, I don't necessarily mean money. I mean, you know, necessarily, am I reaching an audience? Yeah. You know, am I getting impressions? Am I getting traffic? You know, is it working? Is it something that will generate more videos or more content? Yeah. You know, so you have, to, you have to sort of weigh everything up and go, right. So that's why, it's, and it's again, it boils down to what we said earlier about learning what is happening constantly, knowing that it's a moving market and making and being ready to make that transition if necessary and to move to something else you know and it's the same with experimentation you experiment it may work it may not yeah i've done a lot of unique pieces of content on instagram or youtube which i've tried uh, and then i've just stopped it because it's like i've done a few of them and i'm like "Ah, it didn't really work okay fine i'm not going to cry about it yeah you know i'm just i'm going to the wonderful thing about the internet is you will know instantly if it's working or not and then if it's not working you just go right i'll stop that i'll do something else now yeah and that's fine but yeah, it's you know it's one of those things where yeah you have to sometimes you have to push yourself into that uncomfortable position to know that. But you know the the also okay the, the flip side of this is the fact, especially in a digital environment, people recognize authenticity, they recognize honesty, and at some point you get to a stage where if you're trying to push yourself, it's okay to put yourself in an uncomfortable position as long as you're still true to your identity. Yeah. But if you're ending up in a position where you're doing something that's just not you, then people will see through that pretty quickly. And not only that, but you just won't be able to do it. So at that point, you'll be like, why am I? That's not me. Why am I doing that? It's not me. Oh, it's so important. I think that's where you could draw the line. So important because one thing that's just struck me is I've watched quite a few of your YouTube videos and speaking to you now there's not a massive difference between the person you are on the video and the person you are in front of me right now. And it, to me, that just points towards your genuine authenticity and the fact that you're not, you're not trying to be the next Jeremy Clarkson. You're just trying to be yourself. And that's, I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah. And I think this is why I, you know, cause there was a lot of, uh, especially even amongst my contemporaries and my friends and maybe even family, eyebrows raised when I went with the Brown car guy title. And they're like, why? And I'm like, well, because it is who I am. It is my identity. Not that I have a brown car. Let's get that out of the way straight away. Because that's a first. A lot of of people come up to me. It's like, do you only have brown cars? I'm like, no, no. (laughs) You know, there should should technically be a comma after brown. So it's brown car guy. You know, so it's it's like that. But, (laughs) but, but. But to me, it's like, it's one of those things where I was like, okay, you know, it hasn't been easy as a brown guy in this industry, particularly in the UK. In the Middle East, I achieved great successes, but in the UK, I achieved not so many. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, you know, change myself. I'm not going to change my identity. I'm not going to try and be somebody I'm not. I'm going to, and I'm, and I'm going to be defined. I'm going to double down on my identity and I'm going to say, this is who I am. This is what I am. And it's okay to be brown and to be 
passionate and knowledgeable about cars. Because this is the other thing. is like sometimes, particularly here in the UK, it's quite cliquey. And people are quite blinkered about, you know, the car world and the car community. And they think, oh, you know, only, you know, us, only we know about cars because, you know, we've been building them since forever. It's like, no, guys, you, you haven't been out of your shell. You know, you are stuck in, in, in the old days. You haven't been to the Middle East. You haven't seen the, the Kuwaiti kids who can tell you, you know, uh, the, the cubic capacity of any American car from the 60s, right? You haven't seen the, uh, the Palestinian girl who is a drift queen in the UAE, who can drive better than any of these guys, you know. You haven't seen the fact that, you know, people are, are mad about Volkswagen Beetles in Pakistan. You know, you haven't seen, you, you don't know these cultures. It's very blinkered to think that you know everything. You don't. There's so much out there that you've got to learn and you've got to be aware of. And I think that one of the things is you've got to be aware of is that people have their identity and they should be true to their identity. Oh, it's so important. So important because... I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I find it amazing that someone like yourself is creating YouTube videos um, and you're obviously brown and you're proud of it and you're being true to who you are. It's so easy to kind of think, you know what, I'm going to try and fake it to be someone else. And that's just that I think I think people are a lot more intelligent than we think they are in that sense. And trying to take shortcuts and trying to be inauthentic is is only going to get you so far i, I think it's so valuable there um so obviously apart from uh, being being true to who you are um not feeling so scared about um what people will say but also really importantly putting the audience at the center of everything you do and really trying to make sure that you are targeting your specific audience um and and providing as much value to them as possible is there anything else that you use as your sort of guiding principles um, that you would encourage people to bear in mind um, should they choose to to start doing YouTube videos or social media? I think you've summed it up quite well there. I mean, authenticity, uh, awareness of audience, awareness of your platform, and a certain level of knowledge. You know, is is obviously important. You know, I mean, I can't. You know, I couldn't fake what I do. You know, I've you know, I've got a. I've always been into cars. I've you know, since I was a kid, I was reading car magazines and car books. You know, so you know, I don't have the greatest memory, so I don't remember facts and figures, but I know a lot of stuff which you know I've accumulated over the years. I've also had a lot of experience, and I've driven just about everything. I mean, I'm I'm at a point now where. The driving aspect is not something that, you know, that intrigues me that much anymore because I pretty, before I drive a car, I pretty much know what it's going to drive like, you know, because mm. I've driven so much, you know. Mm. So, uh, and if there's a surprise, and that's what makes the car interesting, actually, if it actually surprises me. And you'll see that in the videos where if a car does surprise me, I'm like, whoa, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. But, um, so I think all of those things are very important. The, uh, the final, the final thing I think is just, you know, a determination, a self-belief, you know, I think that's very important, you know, it's the ability to, to, to go, no, I do have something to offer. You know, I do have, I am of service, you know, I, I, I can contribute. And I think that, uh, one thing, and again, this, this, uh, chimes with what uh, Gary Vee often says is a legacy aspect of it, you know, and I think that, um, and then particularly, uh, and this is a bit more of a somber turn to this discussion, I'm apologizing for that in no, advance, no. but particularly in the last 12 months, 18 months or so, we've seen, we've all lost a lot of people, we've all lost friends and family and stuff like that. And, and, you, and one of the things that hits home when that happens is you realize, you know, how fleeting life can be. You know, how, how you know, we, you know the, we've, humans have been here for, you know, long, long time and suddenly a single life can come and go in an instant, especially when somebody's too young leaves, you know, and I've had a, you know, a, a couple of people like that that I've, I've, I've lost recently. And you just go, you didn't, then you just realize like, well, what have they left behind? You know, and I think that traditionally in our culture, we always think, oh, but we've left children behind and we've left, you know, Khandan behind and, you know, we've left a business behind. But I think that that doesn't really apply anymore because I've seen even those things erode, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like once, you know, once, once you've forgotten your grandfather, Who's going to remember him after you? Nobody. Because that's gone now. You know, there's, there's a rolling, you know, I don't remember my great, great grandfather. I have no idea who that was. No inkling of it. I'm sure my dad did, but I don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can remember, I can just about remember my grandfather, but that's it. And then when I'm gone, my kids won't know who my grandfather was. So, so you, so you lose that. And you think, well, what, how can you make your mark? How can you leave a part of yourself behind? And I think what the wonderful thing about this new world that we live in with this digital environment and the digital media format that we have 
It's part of us lives on. Yeah. One of the things I did when my father passed away about um, seven years ago, I think it was now uh, or so, is that I, I dug out all of these old photos and I created an album and I put them onto Facebook. And to me, it was the, I, I did that for myself, and a lot of people liked it because there were these amazing pictures from the you know 50s and 60s, you know. But but I did it because I thought you know part of him is going to live on now. Mm-hmm. Because that's always going to be there, right? If somebody looks for it, it'll always be there. So, the, so in some sense, that's kind of achieving a, a, a subtle kind of a mortality, yeah. you like, you know, yeah. and, and a kind of legacy. So it goes back to what I'm saying before. So I think that that's another thing is, it, is a desire to stand out, a desire to do something different, a desire to leave something behind, a desire to make your mark and say, guys, I was here. It might have been 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but I was here. And some people remember that. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I am remembered, you know, long after I'm gone, I'd be like, wow, that, that will be something. That, I think that would be the ultimate achievement. Well, just, just on that point, and it's such a great transition because I always ask my guests this, this one final question, which is that is, what would you want your legacy to be? <laughs> I think the, le- the legacy, again, is somebody that uh, always tried to do something, but also always looked after his audience. I think that's very important. I think always looked after his audience, always tried to be genuine, always tried to be helpful. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we live in a world which is very difficult. Uh, as much as they've just, you know, extolled the virtues of the digital media and the internet and all the rest of it, but we also know it to be quite divisive and destructive as well. Yeah. You know, and we've actually seen examples of that quite recently. And, uh, and I think that it would be wonderful to be remembered as somebody that ensured that that wasn't the case, was trying to do the opposite, was trying to, you know, spread, you know, okay, yes, my context is automotive, but my message is still like to try and entertain, to try and inform, to try and help, to try and encourage. That's always the message, whatever the subject matter is. I think that the greatest content creators are always trying to do that. And I think that's very relevant. So I think that if people remember, it's like, you know, I don't mind if I go tomorrow, but if people say, yeah, but you know, he was fun and he was good and I really enjoyed his content. I'd be like, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, such an amazing, amazing place to, to end. Um, just finally, uh, for those that want to find you online, where can they find you? Well, it's very easy. You just type in Brown Car Guy to Google or any search engine and you'll just find a page or two of just me. You know, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, hashtag Brown Car Guy, browncarguy.com, YouTube, search Brown Car Guy. It's very, very simple. Fantastic. Shazad, honestly, uh, without disrespecting my other podcast guests, this has probably been the, the most fun interview I've ever had. So thank you so much for, for, for coming onto the podcast today. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, I, I can't wait to see the future of, uh, of Brown Car Guy. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It's been fantastic. I'm much appreciated. Thank, thank you. Thank you.